Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. Now I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, and we have an extremely special guest today that we will introduce in just a second. Sean, hang tight for just a minute here. We did get a new rating and review on Apple Amari from Mitten Rays, and I actually know what that means now. Early on, I didn't know what the Mitten was, but I figured that out. It says, fresh, honest perspective, Bryce and Amari have great complimentary perspectives for Pistons basketball and do a good job focusing on where the team is and where things could go. Great show. I mean, always, again, great to hear from our fans. I also want to say thanks for sticking with us, Drew, but I know it's been a uh, tough season for a lot of you. I tweeted that Kay Cunningham video, just taking some jump shots before the Raptors game, but it got more interaction than anything from the trade deadline, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're not talking about Cade, so uh, stick with us today, too. But we always appreciate the love and support and um, fun episode today and some fun episodes coming up as well. And if you missed it, we did go live right after the trade deadline ended on Thursday. You can find that on YouTube, actually on the Freep.com or Freep YouTube and Apple, Spotify, all of that. Also, we have merch now, shop.freep.com if you want some Pistons Pulse gear. But let's get to the star of the show. I'd like to introduce and welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Sean Winter, sports columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Sean, how are you doing, my friend? Not too bad. I, I'm not sure about a star. By the way, Omari, I think you need to work on your bio there because <laughs> Bri- Bryce's is about 10 sentences long of all the great stuff he does in his life. And uh, I know you do more than just work for the Free Press. Right? Even though, That's all, even I, do. That's all even, I do. Even though it looks like you're in a hotel room, I'm guessing we're in Boston. No, I'm in uh, Toronto. The team's practicing here. We're recording oh, okay. Monday night for those curious, but yeah, okay. the team's practicing here tomorrow. So uh got an extended stay in Toronto. Well, uh, it's good to be here. I do, Sean. Sean, we've had this conversation with him, Sean. We have told him. We actually had people leave like a four-star review instead of a five-star because they're like, Bryce's intro is too long. Omari's is too short. We got to get him doing so. I, I can't get him to do it, Sean. I, maybe you can convince him. Well, I would. He should at least say uh, food, uh, food guy or something, because I know he, he really likes to eat and he he knows his food. You know, we've talked a lot about that. So at least at least add that, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we'll we'll get to that stuff if we have time at the end. But Sean, we are here today to talk about James Wiseman. Get your thoughts on that trade. Let's just start with James Wiseman and who he is as a basketball player, maybe going back to him as a prospect coming out of Memphis High School. What do you know about James Wiseman? What are your thoughts about James Wiseman, the player? Well, you know, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this. Um, I've probably watched him more, uh, play more than, uh, than you know, anybody outside of the, anybody who's either not from San Francisco, Oakland, or just the Bay Area in general or who lives there. I, uh, I I just enjoy watching the Warriors, right? And uh, as, an NBA, as an NBA fan, when I'm not watching the Pistons, and so I've seen probably bits and pieces of most of his games, which is, again, very embarrassing to admit. I don't remember much about him at Memphis, but um, but it, it was a very complicated time for him out, out in Golden State, right? As, you, as Omari's written about, as I'm sure you know, Bryce. And it's hard to get a bead a little bit on just what kind of player he, he might eventually be. I do know when we, when, when we talk about the kind of fit he was out there, I mean, they – you, you all, you, everybody knows who watches the NBA, what kind of system they run, the read and react, how quick you have to be, how nimble in your mind you have to be as a center in that system. Basically, you have to be Draymond Green or even to some degree Kevin, Kevon Looney 
Andrew Bogut, who, who used to be part of this system, would also plant himself the elbow and hit cutters off the split action and that sort of thing. And Wiseman is just not – he's not built for that, not at this age. Maybe, maybe at some point he will. Um, so, so if you start with that, that he wasn't going to be able to hit all the, all the guys constantly moving around him, that was going to be a problem. And then defensively, you know, he just he, – that's probably where he uh, needs the most work. You know, he, he just gets lost a lot. I, I would bet he'll show that even as a piston a little bit because although the systems are different, I think um, he might struggle there for a while. Offensively, though, I would bet he would look a little bit better immediately. Sean, you called me um, after the trade went down, and you, um, you know, it, it, it was funny because there was a, a, a fire raging on Twitter over it because Sadiq was a fan favorite, and, you know, I know you're not, a huge Twitter guy, and you should keep it that way because you're not missing a whole lot. Um, and you called me and you said, "I like this trade. You know, I like that this is. You know, like I think I think this makes sense for the Pistons." And then, you know, as our uh, resident columnist who probably watches the NBA the most, uh, you know, like outside of me, and you probably watch NBA as a whole a little bit more than me because I'm watching 82 Pistons games a year. You know, you kind of brought the you know pr- perspective you know you wrote the column the next day this isn't a gamble like this makes sense uh you know i guess i'm just uh curious just what is it what, like where's the upside with wiseman that you see that makes this such a gamble because i will say i think that even though sadiq was a fan favorite he has some big games there's probably a slight disconnect between the coats of sadiq bay and the player sadiq bay actually was and i'm sure that, that also factors into why you think that this is a trade that could work out favorably for the Pistons or at least makes sense on paper. Well, if you start with the idea that, that they probably weren't going to resign him, right. Or at least not resign him for what he wanted, then, 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 uh, then what's going to happen? Are you, you going to lose him for nothing? I mean, that's, that's what you're looking at. Right. So if you, if you start from that premise and then you go to God, and you hate to say anything ill about him because a good, good dude worked his tail off, you know, great in the locker room. The coaches loved him. They did get frustrated a little bit behind the scenes, and you know you don't want to talk out of school too much here. And I heard I don't know if I, if this is true or not. Was he kind of cognizant of some of the slander, or did he feel like he was getting slandered in some way, even though he wasn't really? I'm not I'm not completely sure on that, but but I do know that. And you and I have talked about this, Amari. When he was a rookie, it's not an accident. Those were his best shooting numbers because he was strictly a spot a spot up shooter. And then, like a lot of young guys, you know, you want to add to your game. He goes into that first offseason and starts to, to try to get uh, to work on shooting off the bounce and then attacking the rim and trying to play make off of that. And we saw that more last year, and we could then see him not know what to do and hesitate. When should he go? When should he shoot? When should he pass? And that, that was a little bit much for him. And then this year, although he, to your point, he did have great games, it just – and obviously when Cunningham went down, that opened up even more of it. But I don't think that that's how they saw him down the road. And I think that's how he sees himself. So, you know, it's best for both guys, right? A little bit like Wiseman um, leaving Golden State. He he de- he deserves and uh, will get the opportunity here that he didn't have there. And I think that might be true a little bit in Atlanta, although he's not going to have the ball that much with Trey, Trey Young and so forth. But uh, as far as the gamble, Amari, real quickly, Again, getting back to the idea, if you're not going to resign him, what are you really risking, right? You're, you're flopping him. It's the same draft class. You're flopping him. I'm, I'm trying to remember where Bay was picked in the late teens. Yeah, for the, 19. Yeah, 19 for the second overall pick. And we have seen flashes. In fact, it's funny because a, a lot of those flashes came against the Pistons when he was a rookie before he got hurt. 
And um, we, we've seen, what, drop step dunks. We've seen spin moves in the lane, off the bounce. You know, we've seen uh, three-point shots. Uh, not that many of them, but you can see the form. You know, elbow jump shots, kind of like uh, Chris Weber used to be, actually. You know, he does occasionally make a, a nice pass. And then we saw the coast-to-coast he blocked Mason Plumley's shot. He was trying to shoot a floater in the lane. Again, this is a rookie. Grab the loose ball, weave through traffic, and then take a Euro step at the end, right? And finish with the dunk. And the dunk is fine, but it was the Euro step. To me, they're like, whoa. And I remember after that game, Kerr, Steve Kerr and uh, Steph Curry talking about, wow, that was Giannis-like. And they weren't saying he was Giannis in any way, but just that that was Giannis-like. So you see those little flashes and you're like, okay, why not take a flyer? What's, what's the downside? I think that's what's hard right now for fans, Sean, is I wonder how they would receive this if it was Wiseman for something they weren't so attached to. Like, I don't want to say a second-round pick because you're not getting James Wiseman for a second-round pick. But I think where fans got frustrated was they were so attached to Sadiq Bay and they saw so much upside from Sadiq Bay. But you don't see any issues with that. And I know we're talking a little bit more about Bay than what we planned, but I do think it's part of this story. And, and sometimes I feel bad because Kevin Knox also got moved in this trade and nobody ever references that, even though he did have a, a couple good weeks for this team. But you just don't necessarily see or, or you don't feel like the future was really there with Bay because of some of the stuff that's came out with how he was trying to play. And I want to say this too, Sean. I don't blame him for trying to expand his game. Like that, I think as an individual, he should have tried to do that. Now, if that put him out of favor with the organization, maybe it was the wrong choice. But you, you think this was a, a very calculated, I don't want to say risk, but gamble because you think maybe Sadiq Bay didn't have long-term with this organization anyway just in the way that they were going to want him to play with the other pieces that they have and who knows who they're going to get in the draft but to me it's 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 almost as much the defense right agreed because because if if he were going to hit shots like he did as a rookie and he was an on-ball defense which he's not he's not a great on-ball defender he's he's an okay team defender but he's not great at that either i mean and again you hate to sit here and disparage somebody who's this young he could develop into a much better team defender. I'm not sure about the on-ball def- defense. You, that's something you kind of either have or you don't. I mean, you can get better, but but to me, that's the thing. If he were going to be a, a, a real true three and D guy, then I yeah, then that would have been a much bigger gamble to flip that for Wiseman. Yeah, and I would also say, you know, I think I think the trade was made more so to get Wiseman and not like we just have to get off Sadiq Bay. Now, I think if they went across the deadline and they could not get Wiseman and Sadiq Rousseau on this team now, they would have been fine with that. Um, you know, I think it was more so, you know, and I reported, you know, in the past, I brought it back up uh, when news of the trade first came out that Wiseman was first on Troy's board back in 2020. Um, you know, I, like, I don't know if they woke up Thursday morning like, we absolutely have to trade Sadiq Bay today. I think once it became clear you could get Wiseman for him, it's like, oh, well, you know, this is long-term, who has higher upside, who could do more for our organization, um, you know, who's a player worth gambling on? Because uh, I think all three of us would agree, you know, the player Sadiq will probably end up being, will probably be somewhere between a fifth and seventh man, right? Like, he's a guy who would probably start some, come off the bench, but you know, he's a career 40% shooter overall. And, uh, you know, the numbers don't quite reflect, you know, the ways he kind of improved in some ways over those years, or maybe his game regressed in some ways. But um, just since body of work thus far, it's probably not a guy you want to pay 
big buddy for it, right? You know, he's probably not a guy who's going to make or break your rebuild. And, and I would say real quickly, that that's a great point. You're talking about a five through seven guy, and they have a guy on the roster now plays the same spot who's also a, a rotation player, a bench guy, who they uh, think or hope may be just as good in that three and D, D, D role. Now, Isaiah Livers has had some health issues, and he's never going to be a lockdown on-ball defender, but he's already shown better tendencies as a team defender, and he's got a better stroke. Right, so that's part of this too, and, and I agree with you. There's something they want to move off Bay, but they got this other guy who's very similar, not quite as athletic as Bay, and obviously Bay's not super athletic, but maybe just uh, the team concepts are a little bit uh, better understood. That's what I wanted to ask: is like, do you think that played into this at all, Amari or Sean, in terms of? They've always sounded high on livers, even though he was a second round pick. A lot of that had to do with the injury coming out of the University of Michigan. I've been super high on livers coming into this season. He hasn't been as good as what I was hoping, but I I don't think it's even close, Sean. I think Isaiah Livers is a much better defense. And, and you're right. I know we're going to get killed because we're like, we're not crushing Bay. I, I think this is stuff we would have said, or I know this is stuff we would have said even before the trade. I still wish we would see consistently from Isaiah Livers the three-point shot. But as you said, it looks good. I believe in it. I do think it has to fall better. I don't know what he's shooting from three this season. But I don't think there's any question he's a better overall defender. And just offensively as a connector, he makes the one more pass. Just He fits that role almost better, I feel like. And I do wonder how much that made it a little easier to move on from Bay. Yeah, I would. I mean, I think when you have a guy like an Isaiah Livers, who I mean, for all the reasons you you mentioned, uh, you could probably plug him into any lineup and feel pretty good about it. And I think the flip side of that is um, when you are a player in that tier, um, em- embracing your role I think goes a long way. And you know, at the end of the day, for Sadiq to be uh, pretty much all of his value comes on, on offense, right? And then that's not even consistent to the point to where you know I think of Sadiq for like a thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent three-point shooter. Uh, you know, like field goal percentage around 44, like average defense. We're talking about a very different situation, right? So we're now it's like, okay, well, you know, you could probably start this guy and feel pretty good about it in any lineup. And um, that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, Sadiq would have nights when he would pop off for 30 pretty efficiently. And then the next two nights, he might, you know, shoot two of nine from three. And it's not really there. And you're also not getting the the, the defense. Uh, like, I, like I ask people, like, I don't think bogey necessarily, you know, makes Sadiq expendable. But I do think overall, if you're looking at like an evaluation standpoint, long term, you have Bogey, uh, Isaiah Livers, who we know can shoot the ball pretty well, uh, plays team defense, just an organizer on the team that really need that at the wing spots. And you know, you're going to have to pay a lot of guys coming up, right? You know, Sadiq's probably not going to make or break the rebuild and to the extent that James Wiseman can if he does hit. And I think that the front office just acknowledged it's not that hard to get a guy. I mean, like Terrence Ross, like there's all sorts of guys who could, you know, heat up, give you, you know, some pretty good offense. Probably not a, a lot of, de- of defense at all, but that's not an archetype that's hard to find in the NBA. Like those guys who can get a reasonable contracts and that's not something you need to necessarily prioritize in a rebuild. You know, I would say that it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Bogdanovich because, and I know we're here to talk about Wiseman primarily and we will here in a sec, but, but, but you're right. They had a little bit of a log jam because you got three guys that are Bogdanovich is maybe a little bit bigger, but three guys that are similar, except Bogdanovich is a much better scorer and just savvier all around offensive player than either of those two guys. I I just want to say this about Bogdanovich because you were talking about Twitter being alight and fired and Pistons fan base being upset with this, and a lot of people wanted to know why they didn't move Bogdanovich. Well, real quickly, and you, you guys have probably talked about this in the past too, the, at some point they have to start winning. 
right? This, I mean, this regime has to start winning or they're going to be out of jobs and they need him to win next year. I mean, they got it's not just that they got to have veterans, they got to have veterans that can do stuff. You can't just have all these young guys. And if they're healthy next year, he's a huge part of them being a little bit more competitive. And he brings competitive spirit every night. And that's waxed and waned. And you, we can talk about that later all, all season, not from him, but from just the group. So to me, I, I, that would have been more. And maybe you could argue, okay, they're just trying to protect themselves. But so what? Everybody is. Every general manager is. Every coach is. That's how this works. So to me, uh, that's why they didn't trade him is because of next year. Well, and here's the other thing. There's a very likely chance they add a wing in the NBA draft as well, Sean and Amar. Like, we can all hope that Victor Wimanyama becomes a Detroit Piston. And at number two, obviously, it's Scoot Henderson. After that, no matter whether it's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, however far they could end up dropping, I think they're going to add a wing. So the chances of them adding a wing, because you were talking about how there was a little bit of a log jam between Bay, Boyan, and Livers. Well, there's might be another young guy coming into the mix as well. So I, I do think you're right. We've probably talked about Bay enough. And I do think we all like Sadiq Bay as a player. I think I don't want to speak for you guys. It sounds like for you is for sure, Sean, that we feel like it's a, a risk or the risk reward is worth taking in terms of moving on from Bay and the player he is for what James Wiseman could possibly become. It's, it's all about the ceiling. I wrote this in the column after the trade. It, to, to me, who's got the higher ceiling, right? Who's got more potential? And um, sometimes you don't make those 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 decisions. Sometimes you don't make trades based on that. But you know they're in a position where they can do that right now, right? And 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 so it's it's not that it's a completely free swing, but it's a little bit of a free swing just for that reason alone. What, what, what's at stake? You know, it's not the Eastern Conference Finals. One thing about about Wiseman that I am curious about, and I could really kind of make or break how well this works out, and uh, I think this will probably also set us up for segment two where we get into his fit. Uh, Sean, I'm just curious, do you buy into his 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 shooting? Um, because that is. I also think there's a misconception about the type of player he is where a lot of people are saying, how do you have Wiseman and Duran when really they attack the game offensively uh, almost entirely different. Like I would say Wiseman's also, it's like it's almost like saying Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace have the same game, right? And those guys have a long way to go for to get to that tier, but I think offensively their games probably are pretty similar to how those, those, those two play. Yeah, those two. I, the, the example I mentioned uh, for the modern NBA or the, the now NBA in my column was the Celtics with – with Robert Williams and um, and Al Horford, right? Again, though th- neither of those guys are as dynamic as both the Wallaces were, or or you know who knows what these two guys are going to be. But it's funny because you were at the press conference the other day with Troy Reaver, right, Omari, and and he was talking about all the size in the Eastern Conference and all the size on the teams that he was looking up at, and he mentioned I want to say Cleveland and Philadelphia. I'm not sh- quite sure about Philly, but Cleveland, Philly, Milwaukee, and he may have mentioned Boston. But um, and he was asked, okay, well, in Cleveland you got you got Mobley and um, and Jared Allen, who's the stretch player there? Well, in theory, maybe eventually Mobley. I know he hadn't shown that yet, but uh, but to me that's the thing. Yeah, Wiseman can. I'm not saying he doesn't have a, a game of the uh, you know where he can get the ball in the block and score. He can a little bit, but most most team, even the bigs who can't shoot, who play and you know, are really good in the league right now, they're not scoring on the block either. Right, I mean, how much is Duran going to do that down the road? He's a he's a rim runner. He might be able to hit the 10, 12 footer at some point. But to me, what makes Wiseman so tantalizing is it's not just the, that he can handle the ball 
it's that he can shoot and he can step out and shoot all the way out of the three point range. And then he can probably attack a closeout eventually. I mean, that that's, I, I'm not saying you can do that right now, but he, and Omar, you and I were talking about this real quickly the other day with, with Wiseman in his hands. It's odd for a player to be able to, to dribble like he can for his size relatively uh, well. He's got some ball skill and not be able to catch, especially, especially, especially in traffic. Isn't that a weird combination? It's not good. I only, I've only watched three games so far. I went back to his rookie season, watched the game, and then two, the two games this season where he played the most minutes. And I definitely have it in my notes that, like, man, his hands are not great. Not, not for. And you're right. Like you would think there was some similarity there because you're, you're right. The follow through is good. I, there's some little wonky stuff with the shot that I don't love. But a, a lot of NBA players shoot. Fun. I was telling my high school kids this the other day because we were talking about shooting form. I'm like. Whenever I go to a Pistons game and get to sit there and watch him come out, every single one of the dudes shoots completely different. You wouldn't, I wouldn't bring my eight-year-old son with all due respect to Alec Burks. I wouldn't bring my eight-year-old son to a Pistons game and say, watch Alec Burks shoot and I want you to shoot like Alec Burks. Now, I want him to make shots the way Alec Burks does, but it's not like it's a perfect picture form, or picture perfect form, goodness gracious. But... Uh, to your point, Wiseman has some touch and it does look, I think there's potential there. I, I'm curious, how real do you think it can be, Sean? Because I have questions. I think it'll be a couple of years. Do you think it could happen sooner? Maybe Golden State just didn't let him do it. I don't think, I don't know that they didn't let him do it. I think if he'd shown more in some areas, they probably would have let him do more. But I'm with you. I think it's a couple of years. And the questions you have are probably similar to the questions I have. And I think everybody has but the, 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 there might be a misconception, or maybe this is just a straw man on, on my part. But first of all, the, he, he plays hard, right? And more importantly, he works hard. That, that, that's been the, the story. There's never been any report out that he doesn't work hard at all. He does get down on himself. He's sensitive, right? And maybe that's partly because he's seven feet, and there's a second pick, and there's an expectation. And so he carries that with him. His body, he struggles with his body language sometimes, but it's not not competing body language. It's not soaking because he's not getting the ball. He's just hard on himself. So there's that. And then sometimes he may not look like he's playing hard because he's hesitant. And there's a difference with that too, right? Because he doesn't know where to be and what he's supposed to do. And then out there, you're surrounded by, you know, the best, some of the, <laughs> some of the best shooters in the history of this game, right? So, and, and one of the best decision makers ever, at least from a forward spot in Draymond. So it's, it's, He's surrounded by all those high computer processing kind of guys, and he just didn't fit in with that. And then you start second guessing yourself and all that. To me, the biggest thing is well, the hands, I don't know that it'll ever develop. That's one of those things you either have or not. To me, the biggest thing is the feel for the game. And that's that's debatable. That's like a nature versus nurture argument. We're talking about raising kids. Can you develop a feel for the game? Uh, you know, not like LeBron, maybe, but you can get better at it. I think. I think just with experience and reps. But Sean, don't you think they're part of that? You just talked about Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Even you're talking Andre Iguodala. You're talking about some of the all-time field guys in the league. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb in Golden State. I don't know that it sticks out that bad in Detroit because it's not like the Pistons have all the best field guys you could imagine. This is really good stuff. We got to go to a quick break. And when we come back, Amari will lead us off and we'll, we'll continue with the James Wiseman, where he's at, where he fits, and how he impacts this roster.
All right, we're back with segment two, and we're going to get into James Wiseman's fit, Um, you know, because, of course, he's running a front court that already has Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart, Marvin Bagley, Nerlens Noel in theory. Um, This is the thing to me that would make or break the trade, right? Because I think the front office's philosophy, you know, Trey Weaver, you know, said this on record when we talked to him last week, is that you need size from today's NBA. Look at the top teams of the East, they're off size which is true. And, you know, I think there's an acknowledgement to the front office that essentially we just need to take as many shots of getting elite talent up there as we can, right? Like we can't worry about fit. We just need to get guys who can play, um, you know, and not worry about the fit as much. Uh, you know, Sean, we kind of talked about James Wiseman's shooting and um, between him and Isaiah Stewart, those are probably the guys that long term you would hope to space the floor. Uh, but, how do you see this shaking out? Like, I think we've gotten a lot of good data on Isaiah Stewart this season. Uh, Durant's at a schedule, and it's going to be a bit of a juggling act, you know, for Dwayne Casey down the stretch to uh, five minutes for all three of these guys and four when Bagley comes back pretty soon after All-Star break. There's no question there's, with Bagley. And, and again, I, I don't want to throw people under the bus here. You know, you wonder if they would extend him again, mm-hmm. right? Right, kind of looking back. Um, but I, I think the priority is, I mean, look, Stewart, is a nice player, and you're right about that. He's really improved his three point shooting, um, and he's tough under the rim, but he's limited by how by his length and, and that sort of thing defensively, in particular. He's shown he can switch out on the perimeter some, and that's that's helpful. But uh, to me, he's kind of in that bay range of you know five to seven, as as Amari said. Ultimately, I mean, where is he on a on a on a contending roster? And I the know we're all big. The third yeah. big, right, Sean? Exactly. He's coming exactly. off the bench. He, he he is. So to me, you you give Wiseman all the minutes he can handle, and um and try to see what you've got. You know, we're talking about feel early. The other, the other thing he doesn't have is he's for a guy that's uh, as athletic as he is, and I'm not quite sure he's as bouncy as he was before his knee. That might just be, that might just be me. That might be again hesitancy. He's in his third year. He missed his second year. That could be uh, mental too. But the other issue with him is for a guy as big as he is and athletic as he is, he's not very physical. And and he doesn't rebound well. Now, part of that's the hands, as we mentioned earlier. But he doesn't block out well. He didn't, he didn't have a feel for where the ball's going. He doesn't just give his body up in a way. On the other hand, then, you'll see him come across the lane every once in a while when he was playing a little bit, especially as a rookie, and pin a shot on the glass, like way up on the glass. So that part of that is there. Um, you know, but as far as where this is going, I just to me, you roll him out there, you tell him not to worry about mistakes, you uh, you let him. I mean, I know he's going to have Killian and and Ivy and so forth, who's got better speed up and down, especially. I mean, Ivy obviously, but but maybe occasionally you say, hey, you get the rebound, go. We saw you. We saw you do that two years ago. I'm not saying he needs to make a living of that, but but just kind of let him try to explore what he's capable of in these next 25, 26 games, whatever they're left. And kind of see what you have and see if that opens him up emotionally, psychologically a little bit. I mean, he's young and with a lot of expectation. And he came up coming out of a situation where it was just, you know, he started getting blamed for their struggles. 
this year, unfairly. I mean, he had nothing to, you know, nothing to do with that, right? But he was supposed to be a future out there, and that's a lot to carry. I'm glad you brought up the rebounding because I actually think that's going to be the part that frustrates fans the most, especially when you have Jalen Duran, who's been an incredible rebounder as a rookie, at least offensively, and Isaiah Stewart, who we know at least works really, really hard. And maybe just being around those two, Wiseman will continue to improve. And I won't go, Amari, I won't go on the rant that I went on on Thursday night with the minutes. But Sean, Omari, Jalen Duran has played more NBA minutes than James Wiseman. Jalen Duran has already played more minutes. So we're talking about this feel thing and all of that. He's two years younger than Sadiq Bey. Sadiq has played six times as many minutes already in his career. Killian Hayes, three and a half times as many minutes. He's essentially halfway through his rookie year if you divide his minutes by 25 minutes per game. So I don't think we have a clue whether on some of this stuff. And he only played three games in college. So to your point, Sean, I, I think I'm a believer in it's hard to teach Phil for the game. I don't know if he's played enough NBA minutes to know whether he has NBA feel. Like it hasn't looked good, but a lot of young players don't look good with their feel early in their career. And then it gets better as the speed of the game slows down and, and all of that. So I just, I don't think we know. And I think that's what's really intriguing is you have this really talented player and you can sculpt him. And, I think a lot of the uh, emotional stuff you're bringing up goes overlooked. I think it's something with Killian Hayes, but not that we have to get on that. But I think it'll be really interesting to hear you talk about that because it would be really hard for someone to deal with that stuff in Golden State. And maybe he'll be able to, you know, figure that out a little bit more on a rebuilding team. You know, to, to, to me, the, it's funny because the, the Golden State had a hard time letting him go. Um, maybe partly because they're worried down the road or they letting go, you know, a, a superstar. Although I don't think they think that I, I don't, I don't see that he's ever going to be a superstar, but they like him a lot too. Right. And they know that it wasn't necessarily a fair situation. You would hear Kerr talk about that. You hear Bob Myers, a general manage, manager out there talk about that. You hear that his, his uh, teammates talk about, it. you know, Curry, Draymond, especially would talk about that. But I, I did a couple things jump out with, with, with about him recently. Because he didn't play much before he was traded over after he came back from a uh, uh, sprained his ankle, I think. And um, I, he got a little bit of run against OKC recently. I don't know, it was the last week, week before. It was a, one of the rare blowouts for the Warriors. And there's a play, nor, you know, it's the end of the game, four or five minutes left or whatever. And he gets the ball, I want to say, on the right wing, a couple of feet outside of the, 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 the paint. And sweeps across and just decides he's going to go. And you don't see this very often. You don't see it very often, partly because he hadn't played. He just decides to go. And he's dribbling with his left. And it's just kind of a couple. It's maybe one or two dribbles, a couple of steps. And it's a running, sweeping left hook that's just as fluid and as pretty as you'll ever see. And what was impressive about the move and, and, and important for him is that he didn't think. He just went and said, hey, I'm seven feet. And, uh, and it was with was some quickness relative to that seven feet. And some touch, and you saw that. And then the other thing that stands out is they they played the Grizzlies. Amari probably saw this, being the Grizzlies guy that he was uh, uh, within the last month. And Wiseman got real minutes that night, and it was the best defensively he's ever looked. Right, he was engaged and physical. That's probably the best game he's ever had uh, as as an NBA player. And again, that's not saying much; it's relative. But he was okay defensively that night, and the energy was there because he was feeling confident in a way that you just haven't seen much from him. So I, I think the thing for me is uh, we've probably seen enough to see them to say that Jalen Duran is a pretty high upside starting center for the future, right? You know, I right. think a lot of James Wiseman, whether this works out, you know, whether he's a starter or a bench or whatever, is, you know, the extent that he could thrive next to 
another highly athletic center, which on paper, like, yeah, they're probably built similarly, but because your games contrast enough, you figure it could work. And then it gives you an advantage because how many teams are starting two lob threats, uh, you know, wise. And I don't know how strong of a lob threat he is, given that he has some issues catching the ball. But, you know, in theory, that's something you, you think could, could work out. Do you see, you know, especially if Wiseman has that, you know, touch, let's say he can knock down threes. Um, is that a front court long term you think can work, especially given that one or both of those guys are going to have to defend in, in space a pretty good bit as well for it to work out? Well, it can in theory. I mean, if, if Wiseman's going to hit, then it absolutely can. I mean, you know, I don't know what you guys think of player comps, and I don't love them all the time, and we all, but we all do it. It's just a, it's the nature of things. I mean, Troy Weaver is talking about Tim Duncan and and uh, and and David Robinson in his press conference the other day. Now he wasn't saying that these guys are Duncan and Robinson, but he was just talking about you know having two two big guys. Of course, that's a different era. But to me, if he hits, I think he's a seven foot tall Chris Bosh. To me, that's his ceiling. That's a that's not a bad ceiling. That's a really good. I mean. As an all-star ceiling, I'm not saying he's going to get there. The odds are he probably won't because Bosch showed it immediately, right? Or at, least, or at least showed more immediately. But he reminds me of that a little bit. He, he doesn't have that kind of swag. If he develops the swag, that'll lift up the skill, which because the skill's there. There's just no swag to go with it at all. I just want to say, I think there's a world where they play together. So I, I'd be interested. I'll, I'll give because, – because of what you're saying about with Wiseman, is there a little bit of shooting – and we've seen this with Isaiah Stewart. Him playing at the four wasn't just about him being able to knock down a three. It was also about him being able to knock down or attack a closeout, make a one more pass, and play on the perimeter in general in terms of DHOs and those type of things. I think Wiseman can already do that stuff. Would you agree, Sean? Like, I, I feel confident with Wiseman operating a DHO. I, the passing's a little suspect. It is. No, he can do that. He did that a little bit in Golden State. I mean, you know, he didn't do it to Draymond Green level, obviously, but, you know, he's not faking the DHO and running down the lane and and dunking. But he's, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. He can do that. Again, he can, I think he can space the four. You're talking about his form earlier. When I said his form's all right, I, I'm not talking about the whole of his shot. I think the release is, is, is nice. And that's really, and in the end, all that matters. The other thing about his form to me is that he doesn't use his seven feet. He stoops over when he starts his jump shot, almost like a question mark. Like his, his posture is not very good. And to part of that, again, to me, is confidence. Like he doesn't own his body. He doesn't own his size. And you see that sometimes with big guys, especially when they haven't played a ton of organized ball. And, I, you know, I know you coach. I coach a little bit at the AAU. And I remember I would, I would tell my kids when they had a shot and they could shoot, you could see that release, but they, and there was hesitation. I would just say it's, it's all about conviction. You take that shot, right? You you got to believe when you're taking that shot. Don't hesitate, and that's hard to. You can say that over and over and over, but until that clicks with him, right? I would love to see him at some point stand up, not erect. I mean, you're gonna bend some, you gotta bend your knees and so forth. But you know what I mean? If you've watched him shoot, you no, one hundred percent. Like I feel like he plays that way a lot. Like he's like you're saying. I when you said it, I didn't have the words for it, but when you said it, Sean. Like the the image of it immediately hit me in my head. Like I could see it, and so I I know exactly what you're saying. He doesn't look like he's seven foot when he's out there. He doesn't use his wingspan and his length all the time on the defensive end, even though he will block a shot. Like it will be really interesting. You have me fascinated with the confidence stuff because this wasn't stuff that I had got into yet, and so I'm really interested to see if we can see a change in his posture, his body language, how he carries himself. Maybe not immediately, but over these final 
20, 30 game. No, and I think that, uh, and I'm curious what Amari thinks. I mean, I watched enough Golden State. That 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 kind of did hurt them at times when he was on the floor. And um, and it's not that, they, that he was going to bring the rest of the team down, but if he made mistakes, he knew he was going to the bench. And uh, so the combination of not having conviction in whether we're trying to set a screen, and if he moved his feet and got called for the offensive foul and then got pulled, not necessarily because of that, or just got pulled, whatever, just the shoulder slumping and what that you coach, right? What what that does. And it's not that you're going to take confidence away from Curry and Draymond. I mean, that's obviously. But what that does collectively and just that, that inner, it's an energy suck a little bit. And he's not doing it on purpose. He just wants to, he just wants to play well. He's a kid, uh, right? He's a young man, a very young man. And, and, he want, and he wants to do well and he wants the approval of, of these Hall of Famers, and he's going to want the approval of his guys here too, and Coach Casey, and all of that, right? And Troy Weaver, who believed enough to, to, to make the trade, so he's going to want that, and that's natural and that's normal. I think one of my favorite things about this trade is that it is probably the most Troy Weaver trade that Troy Weaver's made so far, right? Like you have the no-brainer trade. It's like the Boogie trade last year was like a no-brainer. I would think our thirty GMs would do that trade, and most fans without thinking about it, right? Uh, this is the one that is. Him calling his shot, right? Like, Sadiq's a fan favorite. Sadiq is an NBA player, right? Um, you know, he fit in with the group, and he did good things for us. One of my own picks. This is the first first-round pick um, that Trey Weaver traded, and he's saying, this guy's worth it. Like, I know we just got Darren. I know we got Isaiah, and, you know, we've come to the dog pound and all this stuff, but, you know, I'm calling my shot on this one. I think I'm just – and I'm curious to see what you're most excited to watch down the stretch from uh, James Wiseman, Sean, but I think I'm just excited to see what – um, that type of voting confidence can do for him, right? You know, I think he was drafted into, you know, like I don't make a lot of excuses for him, but, you know, I think he was drafted into a situation, uh, as you touched on at the beginning of the pod, um, where his skill set probably wasn't being capitalized on, right? And sometimes you get into a, a group and you're playing for Steph, you're playing for Clay, you're playing for Draymond, and, you know, you got Steve Kerr as coach, they're trying to win, and uh, it's probably not an environment for a young guy to find his legs, you know, especially with the injury he had year two where he he didn't play. I'm just curious to see if he just comes out and if that confidence boost is able to uh, maybe cut out some of those bad habits he's, you know, developed like body language-wise, if he could just get consistent good run every single game. I think that'll do well. I mean, I, I, he's got to feel liberated. I, I would bet he will feel liberated to some degree. The other thing, think about this with Golden State. They basically traded James Wiseman for Gary Payton II, who plays with about as much swag for somebody that doesn't score as anybody in the NBA. Like, he's, like he's, he's a 6'2 center, right, because of the verticality and so forth. And, so, and, and that's what that team needed. That's what James Wiseman needs. You know, Jonathan Kaminga, who is also a, a lottery pick on that team, uh, there's a seventh pick, he is valuable out there because even though he may have a lot more in his bag, we'll see, um, what he does have right now is almost elite on-ball defense or, or borderline, right? Maybe not elite, but it's getting there. And there's a lot of energy. And so he can, you can just put him on the floor and say, go do that. There was nothing with Wiseman out there where you can say, put him on the floor and go do that. They tried to say, go set that screen and then roll to the rim. And it worked a little bit as a rookie. But he struggled to set his feet sometimes. So just the fundamentals. Again, you're back to your point, Bryce, about reps and experience. You know, the more reps and more experience you have, the more, the more confident you have. The more confident you have, the more swag you're going to play with. And that's critical in the NBA. So I, I am worried about the off-the-ball defense a little bit, Sean, for the same reasons you brought up earlier. I, I, awareness is tough. We've seen it with Marvin Bagley at third. I actually came away more intrigued 
with his like on the ball defense, ball screen defense. Now he, he would get bullied in the post. As you said earlier, he's not super physical, but a lot of the games I watched, I feel like I got quite a few ball screen coverage reps, him playing in drop, even a little bit of switch. I'm not saying it's great, but I thought he did a good job like playing cat and mouse with the ball handler and the role man, trying to play in between both. He could use his length a little bit better. Obviously, there's some nuanced things. He had some reps where he got switched onto a perimeter player and you could at least see him move his feet and slide a little bit. Again, I'm not saying he's Isaiah Stewart, but I came away a little bit intrigued. Like maybe he's the ball screen coverage big and you let Jalen Duran roam and block shots and do those things. I just, I think you could do some intriguing things with those two guys defensively. The get back to the Wallaces. Ben Wallace was the, the best off ball, uh, you know, away from the away from the ball defender, and in, in the NBA is a big man, maybe ever, right? That's that's why he's a Hall of Fame player. Rashid was the on ball guy, and he was so smart. He was good at off ball defense too. But but he was a he was a really good one on one defender. So to your point, yeah, you can see Duran with that quickness that lends itself that this quickness and explosiveness, a lot like Ben. Wallace uh, lends itself to off-ball defense. All right, we're going to go to a short break, and when we come back, we're actually going to talk the NBA trade deadline in general, see what Sean liked at the deadline, what Amari liked from the deadline from around the entire league. All right, we're going to talk the NBA trade deadline in general. Uh, this deadline was interesting because there are some really good deals mixed in there, but a lot of the deals just, <laughs> just look like teams are just... There were darts and doing deals just to do They were throwing second round picks, Omari. That's what they were doing. Uh, Bryce, I'll let you lead this one off and then we'll get to uh, Sean. Which which, which trade uh, for you do you think made the most sense? I think a lot of these trades from a casual NBA uh, fan standpoint probably didn't do a lot. But we're the nerds for the guys who pay attention to this stuff. What did you think? The Nets, Suns won. I like it for both teams. I like that Phoenix is going for it. And I like the return that the Nets got. The trade that doesn't make, I don't want to say it doesn't make sense. The one that they made with the Mavs is a little weird. And I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work for the Mavs with with the the Kyrie trade. I kind of like what the Clippers did, just solidifying their bench with three separate trades. And as much, as much as I hate to admit this, I feel like the Lakers brought in some... They made. They finally brought in some players that made sense. Finally. Like, you have LeBron James, you have AD, they have all this on-ball gravity, and you finally put a little bit of shooting around them. I thought they did as good as they could with not giving up both of those first rounds. So those were the ones that kind of stood out to me, Sean. I don't know if you disagree with that or, or, or where you were at with some of the other moves around the league. You know, I mean, I was trying to think, when's the last time a top, all-time top 15 player got traded in the middle of the season while he's still in his prime. I mean, is that is that happened before? I was listening to a podcast I mean, the other day and, and they couldn't come up with one that that was equated to that. Yeah, there were there were a lot of people saying no, it happens before it's happened before, but they're mistaken free agent. I mean, like because Durant moved to Golden State, right? And then went to Brooklyn or whatever. Um, and or maybe offseason. I'm trying to remember the Barkley to the Phoenix trade, but that wasn't mid season. I don't, you know, so yeah, so that was just sort of shocking. Stunning, but not after the way the season gone. It wasn't in in the moment, but just big picture wise, it just doesn't happen very often. And it's sure going to be fun to see how that shakes out. To your point about the, the the Mavericks, so they get Kyrie and they win their first two games with just Kyrie, and then Luca comes back and they lose. Now, in fairness, they had to play Sacramento twice, and they beat Sacramento 
at Sacramento. And then I think you know, it's like that little mini thing that they do where you, you go to a town and you play twice over the course of three days. So it's probably hard to, you know, to beat the home team in the second time in a row, but, but they've got, they've got to figure that out. So, man, I love the, I like the Lakers, uh, Russell, D'Angelo Russell shooting as well as he's ever shot. So in fact, he helped beat the Warriors the other night with, with a couple, some late, late game shot making. And Jared Vanderbilt's a good defender. Uh, you know, they needed that. I'm trying to think of what else. You know, I thought, you know what? The sneaky little move, the Bucks who are rolling right now, picking up Jay Crowder. So I wanted to ask you, how, real quick, Charles Barkley was traded in June. So that was an off-season trade to the Suns. How big do we think that is, Jay? Because Jay Crowder hasn't played this year. Do we think he comes in right away and he just is kind of like that piece that the Bucks need and he just a winner and defends and makes corner threes is that do we think he's going to have that because there's part of me that questions it a little bit well he's hot and cold even when he's playing and he's running but he he can he can win you a game that's for sure he can win you a playoff game off the bench uh if he's kept himself in shape uh, i would think he would fit right in we're talking about swag earlier with, with wiseman this guy's got it right i mean this this guy believes in himself in a in a, in a fundamental way i just thought that was a, a a fun pickup to a team that's finally healthy and, and starting to roll. I, I I was trying to think if there were any other moves uh, that were... I thought the Gary Payton move was a sneaky good move for the yeah, Warriors. Sure. Yes. But now he's not going to play. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I don't yes. think that'll matter till next year. They missed him in a huge, huge way. Okay, so to spin this trade back to what, you know, the Pistons, that's what, everybody's like, oh, well, why would the Warriors just give up Wiseman for nothing? I'm like, if you watch Gary Payton with the Warriors last year, that trade made a whole lot more sense when it came around that he was going back. He was huge for them. He was really good for the Warriors. They don't win without him, right? Correct. I mean, he's one of the best on-ball defender, perimeter defenders in the league and plays the dunker spot for them and can occasionally hit the corner three. But more than that, you know, if Steph Curry was open, he got him the ball. That's what he, they, they found a way to use him, right, Sean? Like, they would actually let him set the ball screen and short roll, and then he was a good passer. It's, it's honestly kind of the way I wish that Hamadou Diallo could play for the Pistons. Go, go find the tape. There's, in game six of the, of the finals last year, there's a play where Gary Payton has the ball on the baseline. He's a two, two, three feet in from the three-point line in the down down on the baseline and gets the ball and Curry's running from the opposite corner coming along the baseline and he sets a screen for Curry's man, you know, and he drops the ball behind him, sets a screen for Curry's man, and then Curry picks the ball up, turns around and fires it from the corner, right? It's just, it was beautiful. And it, it's that's why they wanted him. It's hard to play like that. Wiseman was never going to play like that and probably will never play like that. And that's okay. That's just fine. And again, not every team has that high level of field guys across their roster. Omari, who were some of the guys that got moved? Who were some of the teams that made trades that kind of caught your attention throughout the deadline? Yeah, I thought I thought the Lakers, just everything they did, uh, really cleaned up their rotation and got them uh, some rotation caliber guys, right? Like Westbrook clearly is not going to be uh, this, this third star that we need. I thought he was a really solid, good backup point guard. Uh, but, you know, I think they just had uh, too many roster deficiencies up, up, up and down to just invest all this money in the in the one position who's probably not going to win you a playoff game. Uh, so for them to get D'Lo, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, I'm reading this off. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> memorize it, obviously. Uh, Rui Hachimura, uh, Mo Bamba, two seconds, and you give up Russ, Kendrick Nunn, Juan Toscano Anderson, Damian Jones, Thomas Bryant, and then Bev. Um, just to be a clear, solid upgrade up and down, you got younger. 
offensively, D'Lo's giving you a lot more than you probably got from Westbrook, just given that he does give you floor spacing and um, should be able to play off ball with LeBron, um, you know, just in more of that, that Bo Williams or right? Like you can shoot, you can run the offense. I thought their trade deadline was good. You're probably still not going to win a championship this season, but as far as just setting the table for beyond the season and just getting some decent assets in, and it did cost you a first round pick, but, you know, it takes money to make money. I like, I thought, I thought their, their deadline as a whole, when you look at the entirety of it, like was probably the best they could have gone outside of giving up two picks to go after a, a maybe a higher impact guy. But I thought that what they did made a lot of sense. Uh, Sean, let me ask you about that D-Lo trade with the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Wolves. And, and we'll get to the Jazz in a second. What do you think about the Wolves did essentially moving on from D-Lo and bringing in the veteran Mike Conley? I sneakily kind of like that because I think yeah, he's a, better, he's a better fit, right? Like, get this veteran point guard in that's just going to set the table for uh, Ant and Cat and let them do their thing. And I'm not saying D'Lo's a bad player. I think he's going to help out the Lakers, but I thought it was really good for the Timberwolves. But I've heard people kind of critique that. What are you? Apparently, you like it. Well, I just, I just think it's it, it's Ant Edwards, it's Anthony Edwards' team, right? And it, it was kind of an odd fit with with Russell and um, and Conley's not a defensive player he used to be, but uh, but he's yeah he's just a savvier guy. He's going to understand wh- where the ball needs to go in a different way. He's not going to have any ego about it, especially at this point in his career. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a sne- another one of those kind of sneaky good trades. I thought um, uh, Portland, I mean, I know they're not a contender, but getting Thibel, uh will work better for them because Gary Payton, again, is a very specific player. Plus, he was hurt, but he's better. He's going to be better for Golden State. I think Thibel will help Portland defensively in a little bit in a way that even Payton couldn't, partly because he was hurt, but partly because he's just a very specific kind of player, too. Did you think it was weird they moved on from Josh Hart, though, Amari? The Blazers, you know, they bring in Thibault, but they moved Josh Hart to the Knicks for Cam Reddish, a 2023 first that's lottery protected, Archie Diakono, and then our old friend Svee Mikhail Luke, who actually got traded twice. So I, I thought the Blazers, I agree, Sean. I, I kind of like Matisse Thibault and what he does defensively, if he ever figures out a shot at all. But then they moved Josh Hart. Maybe that was, I, I would have to look up his contract situation. For some reason, I feel like he's, uh, could possibly be on the market this summer. So maybe it was just they didn't think they could afford to keep him around. Yeah, I thought uh, – so I've always liked Josh Hart. I always liked his game. I like guards that, you know, could defend and rebound in general. And he shot the ball pretty well last year. Uh, what caught me off guard was, you know, seeing just how much he has stumped as a, a, a shooter this season where he's shooting a career low from three and also taking career low in attempts from three. So, you know, essentially for – a wing, he's been a non-shooter this season. Uh, he's not hitting them, and he's not taking a lot of them, uh, which is not giving you any spacing from there at all. So from that standpoint, I see why Portland would say, you know, maybe you know, it's a confidence thing, like whatever it is, you know, we're paying money for a wing that can't shoot. Uh, you know, we can just take a flyer on Reddish. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, you know, we just got to just, you know, like essentially get off of that contract. Um, you know, so from that standpoint, you know, I thought it made sense for the Knicks but on top of that, the Knicks gave up a first-round pick. And then it's like, well, now I think this trade works a lot better for Portland. Like, at first it's like, well, okay, like the Knicks are trying to win, so it makes sense. And then somebody pointed out how poorly Josh Hart had been shooting. And then it's like, well, why would the Knicks come up a first? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So uh, that was one of the head-scratchers for me where, you know, to me, I, I just didn't get why they would give up a first. Like, to me, that's probably just Jalen Brunson gets his own teammate back and – Josh Hart's probably a better shooter than he is or has been this season. Like, not a guy who's going to shoot 38%, but 
can hit threes, and he aids your playoff push, and you know makes Jalen Brunson happy. And you've been wooing Jalen Brunson, you know, this whole whole time. So it, it makes sense from that standpoint. But to me, just get up a, a first and not just made that not so much of a great deal for New York. And it is a player option for Josh Hart this offseason. So he's not, you know, he can become a free agent if he wants. Um, obviously, he can, you know, opt back in, I think, for like $13 million. One other guy that came on the market somewhat late, but was interesting, was Bones Highland with the Denver Nuggets. And it sounds like he fell out of favor for some reason there. Sean, I don't know how much you follow the Nuggets, how much you've watched Bones but what did you think about him ending up on the market and then a guy that was a first-round pick this summer, you know, gets traded to the Clippers for a couple seconds? He, um, good energy guy, can, uh, can shoot, a little bit tricky with the shooter, but I think he wanted more. He, he was like Reggie Jackson on the Thunder. That's what I would liken it to. Not the same kind of player. Highland's a little quicker and more athletic, although Jackson had some good bounce when he was young before he started getting hurt. But that's kind of what it reminded me. He stuck behind Jamal Murray and and the best the best, you know, arguably the best playmaker in the, in, in the game, right? And, and, uh, and Jokic. And I think he fell out of favor because he just, you know, he, he would wave off the big guy a little bit. He, what, what do you, right? Is, what you are didn't you doing? wave off the two time uh, MVP, no, Sean. No, no, right. So you'd see him do that. Yeah. So no, I, I have seen the Nuggets play. And I, I, I think that was it. I think they'd liked his energy. If he'd sort of been willing to stay in a particular role, that would have been fine. But, you know, he might be, he went to the Clippers, right? I mean, he might be better, uh, he might be better with the Clippers. I think Eric Gordon might help them. I know he's not quite as bouncy as he used to be, but he's a tough-minded guy who can make big shots late. Yeah, and I misspoke. Bones is actually in his second year, so he got drafted two seasons ago. And again, former Piston Mason Plumley ended up on the Clippers as well. I have a couple things I want to end with. First, Amari and Sean both. Who are your favorites in Eastern Conference and Western Conference post-trade deadline? So, Sean, I'll start with you. I don't know, maybe that's rude of me to make our guests go first and not give him more time to think. But I know Amari's tired up there in Toronto, so I'm going to give him a little bit of extra time to think about it. Your Eastern and Western Conference favorites post-trade deadline. You know, it's funny. I had the Nets win it all before the when the when the year started. <laughs> and, I, and I think I had them beating, uh, beating the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. And I would, I contend if Kyrie hadn't sabotaged that whole, well, maybe he did not. I don't know. Who knows? But if they'd say, they were 18-2, and two, not that I long know. I know, and look like to me the I mean the, the best team in the league. I I don't get it. I I, I don't I, I can't remember anything like this. Maybe you can, Amari, but I cannot remember anything like this. I I would say, uh, boy, it's tough to not pick Boston, but Milwaukee's rolling, and Boston beat them last year when they didn't have Middleton. So I I would say Milwaukee. I just I I think they're on a mission. I like the way they you know how well they defend. And in the in the West, uh, can we at least see Phoenix Suns the play with Durant? That's hard, I mean, right? <laughs> it, it is hard. I mean, you you, you want to say Phoenix? Um, I think I tell you this. I think it'd be super fun if Dallas and Phoenix somehow oh, uh, man. got got messed yes. up. I, yeah, but I, I I like the I like the Lakers probably more than most people. Um, but I, I mean, the easy ones to say Denver. I, I'll say Phoenix just because Durant, if he's going to play like he was before he got hurt. And the way Booker was balling before he got hurt. And I think Paul is going to see that this is his best chance ever, right? And he's so smart. And, uh, you know, keeping Aiton, they, you know, they got somebody they, to get anybody on the buyout market like they might. Who knows? I'll say Phoenix. Yeah, I think I think in the West, um, Phoenix is kind of like the new Brooklyn where as long as they have availability, uh, they'll, they'll probably win it. And, like, that's a big if because Durant's 34. He's out on Achilles. He's, you know, had lower body injuries off and on. 
uh, including, I think, an MCL right now. And Book's been hurt. And Chris Paul is like 30, 38. You know, and he's, and he's had some issues too. So um, they have three players for injury history. And they've got, what, 25 games to figure it out. Although they're so talented, I'm not sure how much he has to figure out. Like, they probably just go out and <laughs> invest pre- pretty well. Uh, Booker and Chris Paul are pretty un- un- unselfish, so that probably won't be too much of an issue. Uh, as long as those three are healthy for the playoffs, it's, it's just tough to see a team that could beat them. Overall, uh, like maybe Gary Payton comes back, you know, in time for the second round, you know, Warriors. Steph Curry, they're, they're, toast. The stuff. they're toast. They're okay. toast. <laughs> Sean's calling his shot. They're toast. No, they're they bad. just they don't have it. They just yeah. they just they they've got a hangover. They haven't had the competitive spirit all year long. Not that we want to make this a Warriors podcast, but they just don't have it. And then for the East, the East is tough, man. I mean, I think you could go up Milwaukee or Boston and not feel too bad. And um, you know, Philly's lurking, and I know James Harden doesn't have the, the best track record in the playoffs i want to go with boston uh just because i like i like i just like narratives of of, of teams like getting uh, their butts kicked in the playoffs and they're young and then they come back and you know they figure it out and boston from a depth standpoint like i you know i still think the other team in, in the east is really competing with them as far as that like Derek white just got you know, player of the, of the week he's played his best basketball with, with marcus smart out um so there's just a lot to like on that roster uh, but Milwaukee's been, you know, right there, you know, even with Chris Middleton missing most of this season. And, you know, it seems like Chris Middleton's slowly getting back to where he was before. And Joe Ingles is shooting the ball pretty well. Um, you know, like they just got Jay Crowder. They've actually improved their roster, uh, you know, I think a good bit uh, over the last year or so, just from a death standpoint. And at the end of the day, when Giannis is locked in, it's not just not a whole lot you could do. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping we see those two teams play each other in the playoffs. I'm almost certain it would go seven, and that's a coin flip for me. But I would probably I would assume it would be one of those two teams. All right, Sean. Last thing, I'll get you out of here. How much University of Michigan basketball have you watched this season? I've watched uh, some, not as much as I usually have. I'm, uh, it's in fact I was at the game the other when was that Saturday night they played Mich- uh, and they played Indiana. Um, why do you ask? I, I, we're 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 gonna we're gonna you know just prime a little bit of draft content that's coming up, and so I would just like to get your perspective on Jet Howard, maybe Kobe Bufkin, maybe even some Hunter Dickinson, and what you think about those guys as NBA prospects. Dickinson's gonna have a tough tough time unless he can um, unless he can develop a little bit of a, a jump shot. No, he has shown he can hit the occasional three at the college level. He just he just can't move his feet out in space at all and um and you you wonder about that you know even down you know you could i guess keep him down low but you know he's gonna be he's gonna be a rotation guy if he were to ever make that and that's just that's just hard to see i i like jet howard he is smooth and fluid and you know who he reminds me a little bit of is paul george just the, the the smoothness. I don't know that he's quite that athletic. You remember how George was when he was young? Oh my goodness! But but he's just smooth. He can pull up off the bounce and uh, he can shoot. Uh, yeah, I, I like his game. Yeah, he looks like an NBA player for sure. I don't know what kind of player, but I don't think it's going to be like Cam Reddish, where you were kind of thinking when he was at Duke. Remember that? Wow, this guy's a you know because the way he could shoot and that body. Howard can put the ball on the deck and and create his own sh- and create his own shot. And that's why it reminds me of George a little bit, you know? Yeah, every time I watch him, I come away more impressed with, like, this isn't just, like, a catch-and-shoot guy that shoots well. Like, oh, he no. can, he, he's running off screens. He's, you know, putting it on the deck, making really tough shots. So, um, thank you again, Sean Winsor. 
at the free press, everything you do. Thank you for joining us. We know you're busy. Um, and we can't wait to have you back again. You got You got any stuff you got, you want to plug for our listeners, make sure that they go and read. Well, we got, I got, I've got one more lions coming, coming out. One more lions column coming. You just gotta, you gotta squeeze that turnip, man. You gotta, I mean, you know, Mario will tell you, he's a Detroit guy. There had been this kind of buzz around this, this organization in, in, in two decades. Probably, I mean, maybe 2011 a little bit when they had big stars with Johnson, Calvin Johnson, and, and, and Sue, and they were young at Stafford. But this just feels different. So I felt like uh, now that the Super Bowl's over, you can say, okay, it's it, the Lions are on the clock. Let's let's see what do they need a little bit, you know. So I, I kind of wrote about that. That I would get back to. We got Michigan Michigan State coming up this weekend, as everybody knows, and then uh, and then I'm gonna watch from uh, from my couch, Amari, and see what um, uh, uh, Wiseman looks like. And uh, maybe share a few thoughts on his first game, and then we'll, we'll decide if he's a bust or a superstar. Sean, real quick, uh, Jared Goff, the quarterback of the future, or not? They need to draft one. Uh, I mean, if there's a if there's a deal, you know, if somebody offers a Bryce Young, yeah, you know, why not? But uh, I don't I don't think they want C.J. Stroud. I, I think Goff played so well down the stretch. He's already been in one Super Bowl. To me, uh, see how good you can get defensively. You know, keep trying to add up weapons offensively. And and see what happens. They were playing about as well as anybody. Like if if if, if you watch that Super Bowl, both of you, you could see them on that field with either one of those teams not embarrassing themselves. And that's crazy to say. I mean, they they went toe to toe with Philly at the beginning of the year, right? So, I you know I, I that that's just radical to, to even think. But I don't think it's as crazy to say they could have hung with either of those teams last uh, Sunday night, not beating them, but not made a fool of themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking everything I have not to say anything about Chiefs being a lifelong Chiefs fan and getting the second Super Bowl in the last uh, as many, you know, four years. So I will refrain because this is a Pistons podcast. <laughs> and if it's any sort of NFL love, it's the Lions. So I'll shut up now and let Amari take it well, away, my guy. Oh, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, where was that game one, right? I mean, Mahomes was great. Hurts yeah. played just as well, maybe even a little better in some ways. Yeah, he was good. But in the end, in the second half, this is what always happens with football. Holmes had more time to throw than Hurts did, and that was the difference in the game. Mahomes' so, offensive line was incredible, Sean. Two was, two weeks two weeks earlier, Burrow had less time to throw than Holmes did, and that was the difference in that game. Yep. And so, uh, you know, that that's always what it comes down to. It's amazing. Yep, absolutely. All right, Amari, take it away. Sean, always a, a, a pleasure. We'll look out for that. Lions column. Uh, Lions completely stole the, the show for the Pistons this year. It's from just, just from the fan <laughs> interest standpoint. It's not even close. I'll tweet about the Lions and it would just get like five times the engagement. We'll see. You tweeted coming. about them. You tweeted about them all fall. It's great. Yeah, I'll tweet about the, you know, but I moved back and told myself I wasn't going to. And Brad Holmes said, nope, we're going to make this team fun and exciting. So here we are. Um, but I'll go ahead and close this out. Sean, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We'll definitely have you on again in the future. Uh, big thanks to our editor, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Angelette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, big thanks, as always, to West Davenport. And then we'll talk to you all next week.